0: I am Dr. Ray Mitch, your host, and it is July 8th. We have passed the middle point of the summer, and uh, I am uh, two weeks removed from the last time I climbed in front of uh, this mic, and uh, I probably will be keeping this schedule for the remainder of the summer uh, until I get into a full schedule of, of teaching, which will give me more than enough material to talk about. Uh, on on the podcast. Uh, I You know, one of the things that I, I've been thinking about of late, and it really kind of hit hit me that today, uh, was something that I had heard, a phrase, and it's been percolating in the back of, of the news of late. And it's something that is referred to as the cancel culture. And this is uh, actually leading into the topic that I wanted to spend a little time talking about, partly because culture has everything to do with not only how we handle one another in terms of the shared values and goals and and attitudes and even practices we have around loss and how we handle grief and those sorts of things, but even in the bigger context. And this uh, phrase, cancel culture, came up and it kind of hit the news today because in Harper's uh, there was a open letter that was signed by a n- number of uh, luminaries, J.K. Rowling being one of them. Uh, other authors, academics, and and um, entertainment folks have had signed off on it as well. And essentially, the cancel culture is an extension of online shaming, and it, and it's become far more prevalent in recent years, particularly when people have a controversial opinion or a stance that they take, and, and, uh, and it seems like all the stops are pulled in terms of, of going after them and uh, canceling them out is really where the phrase comes from. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is, is because of the larger issue uh, that I wanted to spend some time talking about which is kind of turns the concept on its head. Because in a lot of ways, we like to think of culture as something that we're a part of. Uh, We enter into whatever the culture might be, or a micro-culture, if you will. A lot of times students at CCU at least refer to the bubble of being in CCU, and there's a culture there. Uh, And the larger Christian community culture, or the larger social media, culture, whatever that might be, and it it fits that definition that I mentioned just a minute ago of the idea of shared attitudes, values, goals, and and even conventions and practices that people engage in as a part of that culture. The question I want to put to us tonight, or to me, and then I'll drone on about it, and then you can decide whether you want to listen any longer, is what kind of culture do you create? Because generally, we like to think about culture in terms of how we join it or what we do to evaluate it and and then decide whether we want to be a part of it or not. But I think the bigger picture and maybe even the more important picture when it comes to our personal contribution to the culture we're a part of, even in the microscopic sense of a relationship with another person, is what kind of culture do you create? Do you create the kind of culture that uh, uh, walks alongside another person or do you create the kind of culture where the person asks or talks about something and you give an answer or advice or direction and then you move on to whatever the next topic is? Because you see in the bigger scope of things, we are contributing to the culture that we're in and whatever that might be. And and we may think, well, I'm just a little cog in the wheel. It doesn't really make that big of a difference. But I, I guess I would beg to differ that we have more power than we believe we do, particularly when we're interacting with people in, in relationships. And we set a tone for it when it comes to uh, looking at and talking about this topic, which is Ostensibly, the topic that this uh, podcast is built around, and that is grief and loss and and transition and change and all of those things that are very much a part of of the culture that we create within our our circle of influence. And what does that culture look like? And this is what I want to put to you and, and spend a little time talking about. Is are you prone, and I've got to ask myself this question myself, is am I prone to building the kind of culture that, that is the natural response of me to another person that says, yeah, me too. I get it. I, I, I have common ground with you. Now, one of the things that I've noticed over the years of talking to students and to people in general, because I've been doing this counseling gig for a long time, is that particularly in the areas that we're uncomfortable or we're uh, feel some measure of shame or some measure of discomfort, uh, we will look for uh, when the other person mentions, like let's say for example, they lost a relationship with somebody, not to death, but they just lost a relationship to somebody. And we end up parsing their words and parsing their description of that relationship and how that went, and then make the conclusion that we really don't have a whole lot in common. Now I can be empathic and I can understand where they're coming from and I can <clears throat> I can kind of say, Okay, I I I understand uh that, but because I didn't I don't have the same experiences as you, then I really can't walk with you through it. And so what that usually does then is that it prompts me into another kind of cultural stance. And that cultural stance is what I would call you should. So the question for us is to think through what kind of culture do I create? Do I create a me too culture or a you should culture? And the minute I say those things, I think a lot of times people, particularly when I say the me too thing, is that there are plenty of people that uh, out there that I have talked to and I know of and myself included in part of this, is it is way more, way easier Way easier to say. Well, you know what I think you should do is this and this, and you should say this and and uh, you should separate yourself from this person, or you should do this or whatever. And it's just a a staccato, machine gun like series of shoulds <clears throat> that the person is supposed to do that, that will make their situation better, and therefore what make them better, make their feelings better. What what is the outcome of this now one of the problems and i'll i'll start with the me too part and then I'll, then i'll hit the you should and then i'll come back to the me too to try to land this plane one of the problems with people saying to another person yeah me too i get it i understand is that we have gotten so drilled at, at being responsible for the for the other person's choices that we believe that if I say, yeah, me too, I, I, I've had the same struggle, somehow we've gotten the notion that what I'm now doing is condoning their behavior. The same thing happens with this idea of acceptance. If I accept the person, that means I condone the choices that they've made or the relationships, uh, how they conduct their relationships or whatever that might be. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. The problem is, is that we, we have an over-exaggerated understanding of what we're responsible for and what we're not. And that would fall into the category of a larger discussion around boundaries. Because good, healthy boundaries is being clear about what I'm responsible for and what I'm not responsible for. Now that doesn't mean that I detach and walk away from the person because I'm not responsible for them after all no, but it does mean that i I maintain a stance of support but not taking on the stuff that's rightfully theirs and this is this is kind of the the uh distortion that has grown up around this notion of boundaries is is somehow it's detachment it's wall building it's um uh, not caring, it, it, its it, we've got a lot of different kind of connotations that seem to come along with it when we use this word boundaries, when in fact, I would suggest to you, and this is a topic for a whole nother time, but I would suggest to you that having good healthy boundaries is the most loving thing that you can do for another person. Because having good boundaries means empowering the person to find their abilities and their power and their voice to be able to handle that so back to the back to the me too thing when i say me too to another person i am not proposing a solution i am not solving a problem i am simply saying i've experienced something similar to you i understand what you're going through help me understand what it's like for you Now, go back and listen to what I just said, because I've had a similar experience as you. I want to be able to walk with you and help me understand what it's like for you. And each one of those questions are keys to building a me too culture, even in my relationships, which impact all the other relationships I can have as well. So, Me Too is not about condoning somebody's behavior and saying, patting them on the head and being patronizing and saying, yeah, Me Too, I I had it tough too. You'll get through this, this'll be fine, you'll be fine. Which is, is horrifyingly insulting, at least from my point of view. It's better to say nothing at all than to pat somebody on the head metaphorically or figuratively and say, it'll be fine. You might as well say, you know, I don't know. I I can't come up with anything. It's it's probably better not to say anything at all. So there's the Me Too kind of thing, and I wanna I wanna come back to it, but I, I wanted to do a brief introduction, just getting into it. The second alternative. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. They are, they are. Uh, they're not, I'm not trying to capture all of the nuances that are part of culture and human relationships or anything like that. But when somebody that I know and I love is struggling with something, are, I am very much tempted to move into problem solving mode. And that's when the, the, the machine gun staccato of "you shoulds comes rolling out of my mouth because I wanna fix it. I wanna make it better for them. I, I wanna be able to have them feel better. And my belief is by, by giving them all of these shoulds, that it will make life better for them. Now, in the short term, it might, it might. I, I, I won't deny that. And there is an appropriate time to to say to somebody what they need to do or what they should do. But the vast majority of cases are in our relationships with one another is we're uncomfortable with what they're feeling. And because we're uncomfortable, in order to abate and dissipate some of the discomfort we feel about the things that they are going through, we're going to fix it, and we're and by extension, we're going to fix them. And that's really the worst outcome of the you-should culture, is the you-should culture is disempowering to the other person. As a matter of fact, it says to them, you can't do this, and the only way that you can do it is by following what I'm going to tell you to do. And we don't see that. I know we don't see that. I, it's not like I'm... I'm I'm standing with the other person and saying, let's see how I can disempower this person or or insult them in some way because they're so weak and incompetent that I have to help them do this. We're not thinking that at all. But I got news for you. The other person walks away and starts computing what that conversation is like, and they are, the person is. And so a you should culture is built on legalism and shame because if they can't do it for whatever reasons I don't I don't know what they are but let's just say that that you give them you know the the 12 best steps of overcoming the problem that they're in the midst of and they get through step four and they fail and it doesn't work what's left and usually their conclusion is is there must be something fundamentally wrong with me that I can't do this. And then they spiral into shame. There is something wrong with me. And that's the outcome of a you should culture. I have often said that, that the words should and shame are distant cousins. Maybe they're even kissing cousins, I don't know. And it's ironic that they both start out with the same blend of, of consonants, SH. So the me too versus you should culture, what kind of culture do you create? What kinds of messages do you communicate to another person because I'm going to loop back to the Me Too and what is so important about Me Too. Because when I communicate that to another person, what I am saying is, I am with you. What I am communicating is grace. And what I am empowering them to do is to embrace the freedom that is theirs to own their lives and their own hearts. When I do that, now it doesn't look that way because it doesn't, it isn't driven by solving a problem. It is driven by meeting a person. And that's important to remember. It's not about the problem. It is about the person. And when I say me too, and I listen for for the interior of what the other person is struggling with. And the things that I have in my life, which I probably have, that connect or have some measure of commonality to it, me, when I say me too, I'm not stealing their moment from them. If nothing else, I'm saying, go on, you're not alone. And that is empowering, that is freeing, and that is the power of grace. Because we had a God that sent Jesus to us to say, me too. I've often said this. I've heard others say it as well. We have a me too God. God could have sat up in heaven or wherever heaven is, waved his hand, and we would have been justified, and we could have been right with God and moved right on. But instead, we have a God that put on human flesh and became one of us to be able to look us in the eye as Jesus did at that time and say yep me too I'm hungry too or I feel grief too or I feel angry at the injustice in the world around us too I'm willing to stand for the oppressed for the, 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 uh, the marginalized I'm willing to do that because I'm human too and that's that is a unique, remarkable thing in human history that we have a God that would take on us, take on us by being one of us, being able to say to us, yeah, me too. I've gone through all the worst. I, I was born out of wedlock. There were whispers all over my town when I was a kid about who, who my real dad was. And, and, and at one point in time, my family members thought I was crazy and they were going to take me away, and everybody hated me, and my friends left me and betrayed me, and I end up being crucified. Yeah, me too. I feel that too. So my question to you tonight is what kind of culture do you create, a me too or you should? We have a choice to make every every time we interact with somebody. And it's important. I think it's really very important when it comes to this culture around grief and loss. Because there is no time in a person's life when they experience loss. There's no time in their lives where they feel more crazy and alone and nobody understands. Nobody gets it and there's nowhere to turn. And that's 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 what loss does to us, is we feel abandoned. It taps into a very deep well that attacks our being, that we're not, you know, we're 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 not loved enough for the person to stick around. Even if they die, it's not like they chose to die. I, no, of course not. But how do I experience it? How do I feel it? And so we have to ask the same question, in terms of walking alongside people that have experienced loss and transition and change, and, and listen, all of us have experienced that, and we're still experiencing it. I I, I feel that every day now. I'd say the, the you know I, my summer there's no, my summer doesn't have the usual mile markers in it. it it had every other summer up until now because of a pandemic. I didn't have the end of school, neither did a lot of my, most all of my students. They didn't have the end of school, they didn't have finals, they didn't have graduation. And then they go into the summer and who knows what this is and what it's gonna be like, and am I supposed to wear a mask or aren't I, or how much distance is there between me and another person? All of these questions, all of these unsettling things that are part of our everyday lives and how we deal with loss is di- directly impacts that or that impacts how we di- deal with that loss and you say well all right you're, you now you're talking about losses if it's everywhere and, and i would promptly say yeah i am because there's hardly a day goes by that we haven't experienced some measure of loss that's embedded in our lives as humans is loss and i think part of the, the the well I should go back I think the quote that Elizabeth Kübler-Ross said that I think is the most profound is that if we don't deal with loss in our lives our lives will lose a sense of meaning and purpose because if we live as if we will live forever or we will have these people forever or whatever the state that we're in forever we will not them as they deserve. And that's part of the bigger picture, I think, of even when we're talking about the idea of grief and loss and change and transition and everything else. And, and what kind of culture do you create? Because whatever that is, it will reflect back to you with other people. Because as you say, me too, to another person, the other person will. In, at a later point in time may be able to look at you in the eye and say, yeah, me too. I've had that feeling before. That confusion, the uncertainty, the feeling abandoned. I, I, I get that. I do. I understand that. So let me help me understand what that's like for you. And suddenly the tables are turned and I, that I have an opportunity to enter into that with another person as well. So just a few thoughts about culture. Today's big news topic was the cancel culture. I think the bigger issue probably is the comparison culture, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. We're getting late into the end of the the podcast. But what kind of culture do you create? Not what kind of culture are you a part of, but what kind of culture do you create? A Me Too culture? or you should culture. Check out the next time you interact with somebody what tends to come out of your mouth when they are feeling discouraged or down or they're confused or uncertain. What comes out of your mouth first? Or what comes into your mind to pay attention to first? How I can understand where they are or how I can tell them what to do because with that, then I am building culture all along. And I think that's every bit as important. So that's it for tonight. Uh, a few announcements just to, to keep on your radar. Uh, we have been blessed by generosity of people to uh, make contributions to the Silent Retreat Fund for CCU students. Um, We have been working from a number of different angles on this to to look for grant funding and other funding for this so that it it can be on a a firm financial footing going into the fall. uh, We we have a pretty long waiting list of students that would really love to go. So if you're listening and uh, you know somebody who would be interested in partnering with with us in uh, funding the silent retreat you can go to my website at drmitch.com and uh, click on the ccu link and go down to the silent retreats and you'll see the the GoFundMe page to to make a contribution it would be de- uh, we would deeply deeply appreciate that we have had some very generous individuals step up and do Uh, do uh, some contributions already. We're off to a good start. Uh, We just need to try to do whatever we can to keep going. And so if that gets your heart beating a little faster to think about a silent retreat for a student at CCU uh, and making that possible, we would be immensely grateful for that. The second thing, two other things, just to remind you on the website, there are lots and lots of resources there uh, under CCU and other places. Uh, please be sure to subscribe to the website. It's up in the upper right hand corner uh, to do that. If you subscribe to the website, you will also get notified when a new podcast episode uh, comes out. Uh, if you're not interested in doing that and you'd rather do it just through the through uh, a podcast uh, uh, platform, then you would you would go to pod.chpobean.com uh, I think that's right um and uh and you can podbean.com is the platform that i'm using to produce these uh podcasts and you can find me there um and it's m-i-t-s-c-h if you're not familiar with the spelling of my last name and i think it's com. now that i'm thinking about it so uh, you can always go there and subscribe they have a, a, a app that you can download if you want to listen to it in the car um, and, uh, subscribe that way as well. I would encourage you to do so. Uh, I think that's it for tonight. Again, thanks for joining me this July 8th. I will see you in a couple of weeks. Love you later. Bye.